you know, you get those invitations in the mail, and at the bottom it says R S V P. Now, those are fancy letters that mean something important there, but it says to me, it's polite to respond. So, we have an invitation given again uh, this morning, and I believe it's an invitation that the Lord is just creating that desire in various hearts to put that invitation to us. And um, you know how the Lord is. When He gets on something, He gets on it, and He stays on it. And uh, this is something that the Lord has spoken And he continues to speak to his people, and he continues to invite. So will you come and join us tomorrow for prayer? Amen? Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're going to look at a familiar passage in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, is where we're going to be focused this morning. And uh, today uh, we begin a series of messages entitled, First. We are in the first month of the year. We've passed the first day of the first month of the year. We've made resolutions, some of us. Some of us have learned um, maybe not to do that. And uh, some of us are still working that system, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, but uh, uh, first, the first parts of the year are for us to not only reflect, but to determine what the next part of the year is going to be. Will it be the same, or will it be different? Will we repeat some of the same things or will we live a life that has a difference to it in the new year? And so I want to bring to you a series of messages called First. And um, firsts are important. Firsts are important in our memory. Do you remember the first day of school? For some of you, you were very anxious to get to the first day of school. You were probably a firstborn. Uh, For some of you, first day of school was rather traumatic, Uh, maybe more traumatic for your mother and father than it was for you, but uh, remember the first day of school. Remember your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend. Um, Remember your first car, okay? Gentlemen especially. This is a memory that is indelible in your mind, your first car. Now, it didn't have to be the most beautiful It didn't have to be uh, the latest model, but to you it was a beautiful and wonderful car because it was your first car. Do you remember the birth of your first child? Or your first job? Firsts are important in our memory. Firsts are important in our living. God says a lot about firsts. He wants us to know he places value on firsts. And he wants us as his children also to place our values on the things that he values. That's called lordship. When we attach the things that we value to the things that God values, then we have submitted to his lordship. First implies that there's an order. There's something that needs to be first. And when this is put in first position, other things and other pieces take their place. Do you remember in creation, day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Important? Yes. Otherwise, the creation could have advanced in the dark. Light and darkness was important on the first day. Order 
God is a God of order. He places things in order for a purpose. And so firsts are important to him. First also implies that there's a priority. There's something that has higher value than other things. Something that has greater importance than other things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, many of us know the verse, when he was speaking of the pressures and the worries of provision in this life, food and clothing, he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things. And in context, food and provision and clothing. In other words, the stuff of this life doesn't merit our worry. Christ's kingdom merits our seeking. And so if we put in priority what needs to be first, other things will find their place. Sometimes in our lives, things are out of place because the first thing isn't in the first place. If we put what's first in its first place, then it will order our living. Jesus is saying that God's kingdom and the things that are right in God's eyes take priority. And when we put this in place, then the other things will come along. The other things will be added in. Isn't it true in life we get turned around? We chase the things of life, hoping that the center of life will find its place. That's backwards. That's backwards. The way we get order in our life is to put what is priority first. First in our time, first in our giving, first in our love, first in our priority. And when what is first takes the first place, the promise of Matthew 6.33 is, and all these other things that you need will be added, will come along. The first that we'll begin with today is found there in John 3. Are you there? John 3. This first is so critical to Jesus that he spoke about it very early in his ministry. He wanted to begin or have at the first of his ministry some of the most crucial things so that people would begin to understand what the kingdom was about and what was priority in the kingdom. Early on, he speaks of the truth. And if you're taking the truth project, we're understanding more and more the priority of truth. And here's a little question for those of you taking the truth project. Truth equals... Thank you, Tom. Tom gets points on Wednesday night. He gets an ice cream sundae. He gets something. Yes, we're learning that truth equals reality. And so when Jesus says here that he's going to tell us the truth, he's telling us what is real. What is the real stuff of life? Let's look at this, these verse, uh, first eight verses together. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Apostle John here uniquely tells us of this man, Nicodemus. What do we see about him? We see he's a man of the Pharisees. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's the higher up. For the Jew, for the God-fearing Jew, for the Jew that decided they wanted to seek after God, they looked to the Pharisees to chart their course, to raise up the standard, to show them in their own lifestyle what they needed to do in order to please God. Pharisees were fastidious keepers of the law, and then they also added addendums to the law. There was the law, there was the Mosaic law, but then in addition the Pharisees expanded on that, and they added other laws and other requirements and other standards until, as Jesus said, it became so laborious and so heavy and so burdensome for people to carry the law that many gave up because they realized they could not only keep the law, but they couldn't keep all the addendums and all the extra laws and requirements and rules that were put on them for religious duty. The Pharisees were godly people. In fact, Nicodemus here was a God-seeker. I believe he was the cream of the crop. He was a Pharisee that not only knew the law and knew the Scripture, but he had a seeking heart to not only know what God said, but to know God. To know God. To find God. He was a, he was a seeker. He was a searcher. The Pharisees, my friends, were dutiful and committed people. They were in church faithfully. They were church attenders. Every opportunity to be in the synagogue, they were there. They were prayers. They were people who gave themselves to prayer. In fact, they paid attention to how many times they prayed, where they were when they prayed, how long they prayed. They became very attentive to the issue of prayer in their life. They were prayers. They knew the Bible. And to them it was the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Not only did they know it, but they memorized it. Think about this. Fifty chapters of Genesis. Forty chapters of Exodus. Twenty-seven chapters of Leviticus. Leviticus alone to memorize. Amazing. 36 chapters in Numbers, and 34 chapters in Deuteronomy. 187 chapters here. Amazing. 
It was their religious duty as religious leaders to have the Torah, the Word of God, the first five books of our Old Testament committed to memory. They were dutiful. They were religious. They fasted. Not twice a year. Twice a week. It was part of their religious duty to fast, to pray. They tithed at least at least 10% of their income. If you go back into the tithing practices of the Old Testament, it wasn't just the tenth. It was the tenth plus offerings and things given. They tithe. And maybe most importantly, they had a belief in God, as we see that Nicodemus did. And not only was Nicodemus a true Pharisee, he was a true seeker. And we see that captured in that little phrase, and he came to Jesus at night. And there's all kinds of speculation on why Nicodemus came at night. Did he come at night out of fear from the other Pharisees that he was seeking after Jesus? Or did he come because he had questions that needed answered? Or what, did he come because he just wanted a face-to-face? He just wanted himself to see face-to-face conversation with Jesus. Maybe he had some questions that he was bringing to Christ and he wanted some answers. Maybe a question like the rich young ruler had in Mark 10:17. What do I need to do to have eternal life? That was a big religious question of the day, as it is today. What do I have to do? What kind of life do I have to live? What duties do I have to fulfill in order to have eternal life? That was the question of the rich young ruler. Maybe like other religious leaders had in Mark 12:28, where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Tell us what the greatest of the ten are, that we might do the top of the list, that we might fulfill the priority. Why? So we can secure our eternity. We want to be eternally secure. I think it's a, it's a human desire across the, the ages. We want to find an eternal place that's secure with God in heaven. What do we have to do to get there? What do we have to do to be able to arrive? Don't you think that Jesus looking at this Pharisee coming at night with such curiosity, with such acclamation of Jesus, with such kudos for Jesus, as you see here, calling him rabbi and teacher, knowing that Jesus had come from God, there weren't many in Jesus' ministry that said to him, we know that you've come from God. Now, there were others that said, we think you're of the devil. But there weren't many that said, and we know that you come from God. And so here Nicodemus stepped in and he said, I know that you have come from God. I've seen your miraculous signs. Wouldn't Jesus at that moment be tempted to say, wow, this is awesome. Nicodemus, you're awesome. You're seeking me at night. You know that I've come from God. You've observed my miraculous signs. Applause for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're secure. Let me pat you on the back. Let me say that you are in. It's secure for you, Nicodemus. But those aren't the words that we see that Jesus said. Jesus didn't say these words. In fact, he said the words that maybe you've seen on a placard in the end zone on TV. Did you ever notice a scripture reference dangling in the air? 
when the camera shot hits the dog pound or some other end zone area. Remember what they're holding? John 3.3. Not 3.16. That's a familiar one and a good one too. But they are holding John 3.3. And these are the words that Jesus turned to Nicodemus and said to him, Look at them with me again. In reply, Jesus declares, let me tell you the truth, Nicodemus. You know a lot of stuff, Nicodemus. You know religion, Nicodemus. You know duty. You know lists. You know religious practices. You got it all down, Nicodemus. But let me tell you the reality. Let me tell you the truth. He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In essence, he says to Nicodemus, I'm cutting through the religious ideas that you have to the jugular, to the center, to the first, to the priority, which is you have to be born again. Something has to happen in your life to give you a birth. This isn't about religious practice. This is about spirit. This is about heart. This is about life. This is not about duty. It's not about duty. He reiterates it again throughout this whole conversation. I tell you the truth. Or if you have the King James, Verily, verily, I say unto you, in the midst of it all, he says to Nicodemus, All that you have searched for and that you may be ready to ask me tonight is encapsulated in this. This is what's real. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. This is a crucial statement. Notice he uses the word further on in the text, you must be, must. When I was growing up, must didn't leave a lot of room in in our house for latitude. If we had to do something, if it was a must, there wasn't like a B or a C on the list. There wasn't like a second option or a third option. If you had to do this, you had to do this. It was a must. Jesus is using the word the same way for us today and for Nicodemus that night. It's it's not negotiable. It's not, you can't take a second opinion. You can't go a second direction. You can't come up with a better idea yourself. This is a must. Jesus doesn't use the word must often when he's teaching and preaching and speaking, but he says it here to Nicodemus. You must be born again. It's a crucial statement. It's not optional. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells the Corinthian churchgoers there, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Eternal security is worth examination. Where we are headed eternally is worth us being having a knowing and a confidence and a realization that we're ready for that eternity. And so Paul says to the churchgoers of Corinthians, look at your faith. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. He goes on and he says, test it. Test yourselves. It's crucial because many people, even people in church, have not been born again. Many people have not been 
born again. Keep your finger there in John, and if you have a copy of the scripture, go back to to Matthew 7. We were just there looking at the verse on prayer, but we're going to look at a couple other verses. Some pretty strong words that Jesus brings. A lot of times we like to side skirt, just kind of find our way around the hard things that Jesus says, but we can't we can't dismiss them. These verses are crucial because being born again is not optional. And many people have not been born again. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to where? Destruction. And how many enter through it? Many. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only how many find it? Few. Only few find it. It's crucial, my friends, that you know that you have been born again. Because on this road, this journey of life, this road that we're traveling on, it's pretty wide. Let me just say, it's getting wider. The road that we're on, the journey that we're on, the life that we're living continues to broaden. And many are on that road. And that road is leading to destruction. And so many people, not only out in the world, but many people even that are churchgoers, are not born again. They're still on the wide road They have not found the narrow road and have joined the few that Jesus talks about there. Skip on down with me to verse 21. Here he's talking about people who are religious, dutiful. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's that word again, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the righteous people, the dutiful people. I mean, wouldn't we be in awe awe if we were looking at somebody who prophesied regularly? Or who did miracles, who cast out demons. Pretty amazing. I don't know how many demons you've cast out this week. Or how many miracles you've done this week. But there are people in our day who are doing these things and they are not born again. It makes us shake our heads. It makes us scratch our heads. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying you can do religious things and not know me. You can do church stuff and not ever have come in contact with the Spirit of God and been born again. It's possible. It's possible. What is it to be born again? Let's go back to John as we finish our message here this morning. What what is it to be born again? Jesus is really saying born from above. This is not something natural. This is something supernatural. This is where the supernatural God of the universe 
through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes into your life and makes you new. This isn't, this isn't a self-improvement course. This isn't getting better. This isn't just having God improve you as a person so that you can do better and more right things. That's religion. That's religion. Being born of the Spirit of God is supernatural. It's relationship. It's an experience with God that takes your life and moves it from one direction to another direction. The way of the world, the way of the enemy, the way of your flesh, and moves you in the direction toward the things of the Spirit of God. Being born of God is not something you do. It's something that He does in you. When you are born again, you're made new by the Spirit of God. Take, for instance, this microphone this morning. I'm going to make sure it's off so I don't cause any bad noises and squeals and hollers. But just as an illustration this morning, take this microphone. When you were born, your bent, your desires, your makeup was to sin. That wall, the south wall, is sin. And when you and I were born, we were born into sin. We were born with that bent. We were born with that desire. We were born with that propensity to sin. And you know what? We've all lived it out. Not only were we born into sin, we are sinners. We've lived in sin. When we are born of the Spirit and the Spirit of God comes into our lives, what he does is illustrated like this. He turns us. He changes us. He transforms us. He causes us to be born of the Spirit of God. And now our intentions are toward Him. Our bent is toward Him. Our desire is toward Him. He has done that in us. He has turned us toward Him. Now in our lives, there's the push to go this way. Mm. Come on. You're going to go, aren't you? But when we're born of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God in us wants us to go this way, this way. And even though the press of life and the culture and the world and our problems push us toward sinfulness, our bent is now toward God. That's what salvation and being born again is. It's something that God does within us. It's His work. In fact, in Ezekiel 36:26, an Old Testament prophet says some pretty New Testament words. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. That's what being born again is. Being born again isn't thinking I'm a sinner and I got to do better. Oh, God, help me. 
That's self-help. God, would you just partner with me to do better in life? I want to follow you and I want to do better. Oh, my friend, that's such a hard road. That's not the road that God intended for you or for me. What God intended is for us to be born again. Something new in us. A new heart and a new spirit. It's a supernatural work that God does. So that's His part. He does that inside of you and inside of me. But to be born again on our part is to sell out to God. Now that's an old term. How many of you have ever heard that before? Sell out. Good. I'm glad I see some hands of people under the age of 30. We don't, we don't hear phrases like this too much anymore. And you know what? There are some terms that need to pass away with the times. We all know what some of them are. And they can pass away with the times. But there are good words that should not pass away with the times because they're biblical concepts and ideas. They're things that God does. And one of the terms is this, to sell out. He used to sing an old song. Maybe you've heard it redone recently. All to Jesus, I surrender all, all to him, all. It's the smallest word we could ever hear, but it means so much. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. That's our part. That's our part in being born again. If we don't surrender all, are we born again? Our part is to give all of our life, all of ourself, all of our future, all of our hopes, everything that we are to Him. And when we do and we say, Christ, come into my life, May I be born of the Spirit of God. Then God supernaturally moves into your heart and He takes your life and He does this. And you're new. You know what causes me to want to preach this today? There's not much newness happening. There's just not much newness. There's a lot of profession There's a lot of, I'm following Jesus. There's a lot of, I'm going to try to live for God. There's a lot of, I'm going to be a better person. There's a lot of talk like that, but that's not Bible talk. Scriptural talk is Jesus' words. You must be born again. Born again. That's what Jesus tells us. You can't keep control of your life and be born again. Born again is transformation, a word used three times in the New Testament. The word comes from a word where we take the English word metamorphosis. You good science students know what that means. Metamorphosis. The most common picture of that that I think of, maybe you do too, is the caterpillar and the butterfly talking about this at the Truth Project the other night. The caterpillar and the butterfly. A totally different existence. I never confuse a caterpillar with a butterfly. Do you? 
I never look at a caterpillar and go, oh, I think that could be a butterfly. And I never look at a butterfly and think, oh, you look caterpillar-like to me. In fact, the two are so unique that you don't even know they're connected, that they've even had a history together. They're so unique from one another. But they did. The caterpillar crawling in and forming that cocoon and that cocoon being the chamber of transformation, so much so that when that caterpillar is transformed, there's not even a remnant of the idea that that caterpillar ever existed once you see the butterfly. The caterpillar, hairy, lumpy, slow, ugly, creepy, The butterfly, beautiful, light, captivating. In fact, people build butterfly houses and exhibits so you can go and spend money to see how beautiful they are. You can stay there for hours. Just like the caterpillar is transformed from ugly to beautiful, hairy to sleek, earthbound to airborne, when you and I are born again, we are transformed. That is part of being born again. That is being born again. Don't shortchange yourself. There is a born again experience waiting for every single person. If we will surrender and he will come and make new. You can know that you're born again. You can know it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to question it. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. I know today I'm born again. I can take you to the church and to the place at the altar where that experience happened to me. And it was twofold. It was me saying to God, I give you my life. I give you my hopes, I give you my dreams, I give you my sins, I give you my problems, I give you Cindy Rogers, I give you Cindy Rogers completely and wholly. I surrender my whole life to you. And in that moment, the Spirit of God came into my life and turned me from one direction to the other direction. And the things that I wanted to do, the things that captivated me, the things I was pushed to do and driven to do, the things I fell into, no longer because I was transformed by the power of God in that moment. There's nothing special about my story. Being born again can happen to anyone. To anyone. And you can know it. It's like marriage. Okay, sit up and listen, you married people today. It's like marriage. You may have forgotten the details of your wedding day. What color did the girls wear? What type of tuxedos did the guys have on? What songs were played? Did we stand before the justice of the peace? What time of day did it happen? You may forget the actual details of your wedding day. Don't sweat it. You're in good company today. Okay, you may forget the actual day. 
Now this gets a little more serious, gentlemen. You may forget the actual day. I forget if it was, was it June 13th or 15th? 13th or 15th? Maybe the 17th. I don't I don't. Yeah, was it even June? Boy, you're getting into real real trouble now. And what year was that that we were married? You may forget the details. You may forget the actual day. But you have not forgotten the event. Because for most of you, take a moment and turn and look at your spouse. You know you're married. Your life radically changed on that day. If that's true, say, mm-hmm. Okay. Your life radically changed on that day, and your days, your life's continually to be radically changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody moved in with you, and they stayed. <laughs> In case you're toying with the idea of living together, which I say, drop that idea right away. When you get married, every day, you're going to turn and look, and there they are. They're still here. I don't even like them today. I don't even want to be married to them today. We never finished our argument for yesterday. I don't want to be... uh, You're married. And on the day of greatest joy and, and the funnest day and the most blessed day of your marriage, you look and say, well, I'm married today. Your life radically changed on that day when you said those two little words... I do. If you are born again today, your life, just like marriage, is radically changed. God's Spirit has moved into you. And He's staying. He lives inside of you. God has done this. It's supernatural. It's not anything you can do. It's what He has done inside of you. In fact, in Ephesians 1.13, and with this I close, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, on the day that you're born again, backed up the U-Haul into your life and moved in. And the Holy Spirit lives and breathes and works inside of you if you are born again. I wanted to start this series with this message because you might say, oh, Pastor Cindy, we're at church this morning. Uh, come on. We're all born again. Are we? Are we? Could Jesus have said to Nicodemus, You're a good guy. I have no necessity to say this to you. But did he? He did. He needed to and he did. And he said to Nicodemus, and I say to you from the scripture, you've got to be born again. You've got to have the supernatural work of God come into your life 
and transform you and make you new. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I want to encourage you. You could be born again this morning. Your whole life can be radically transformed and changed in a moment. It's what God will do for you. It's not something you have to work at or try. God will do that for you. He will change you and transform you and move into your heart by His Spirit and live inside of you and wash away your past and turn you from one direction to another in a moment, in a prayer. The only thing that you have to do is to give it up. To give up the control of your life and just surrender it all. Just give it all over to the Lord. And in that moment, you can be born again. Born again. So if your head's bowed and your eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Cindy, I'm born again. I know in my spirit that Christ has moved into my life. I've been transformed by his power. I'm born again. Would you lift your hand? I'm born again. I know that I know that I'm born again. Thank you. You can take your hands down. There's a lot of people in the room today that say, I'm born again. Let that be an encouragement to those of you this morning who are not. Because this morning could be your moment. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Is there anyone this morning that would say, Pastor Cindy, the light bulb went on for me this morning. I realize it's not about what I do and how good I am and how much I'm trying as a religious person. This is about my heart coming alive, a new heart being put inside of me, being transformed by the power of God. I want to be born again today. I want to be born again. If that's you, would you just stand where you are this morning? I want to be born again. I want the Spirit of God to come into my life and change me completely. We'll wait for just a moment. I want to be born again. I want to be changed. I want my life to be transformed. Tired of going the old way. I'm tired of struggling. The struggle is proof of a lack of birth. Tired of struggling. I want to surrender it all. I want to surrender it all. Anyone else this morning? I want to be born again. I want to be born again. I'd like a couple men to come and stand with this man here, Ray, if you would. And a couple ladies stand with our lady this morning here in the front. Go ahead and move and stand with those, if you will. I'd like us to re- repeat a prayer with me and um, as an encouragement to those that are standing here this morning. 
they are opening their life to a, a, a new birth. A new birth. Something supernatural is going to happen right in this moment. The old heart, the old spirit is going to be removed and the new spirit is going to be placed inside. Repeat this prayer with me, if you will. Dear Lord, I'm standing here in your presence because I want to be born again. I am tired of the struggle to do what's right, to be what's right. I surrender. I surrender my life to you. I give up the control of my life and I place it in your hands. Remove my stony heart and put in my life a a soft heart, a new spirit, your spirit. I surrender. Come in. Fill my life. Control my life. Make the decisions. Be the Lord. I give it over to you. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come in and make me new. Today, I am born again by the Spirit of God. I thank you, Lord, for this transformation that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. It is the first step. It is the first. So next week we'll continue on with our series on the firsts that God has placed before us. And so I just pray, I know it's in the middle of a a difficult season with sickness and so forth, but I just encourage you to be faithful to the house of the Lord. We're going to continue to learn what God has in mind for our lives that are first. Will you stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we are born again by the Spirit of the living God. He has come in. He has changed our direction in our heart. Lord, I pray today that we would go rejoicing and thanking you that we are born again of the Spirit of God, that he lives within us. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this congregation as we go. May, Lord, we respond to your invitation to prayer. May we come, Lord, to call upon your name, to seek your face, to hear your voice together as we pray together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.